Hello and welcome to the Arise and Build podcast. This is Jody Grace and we're here to inspire, educate, and activate believers in Missouri to steward and protect freedom in every area of life, especially here in the heart of America. We're going to be talking about what's happening right here in our culture, how it connects to scripture, and what we can do to bring our conservative Christian values back into the public square. If you haven't already, I'd love for you to go ahead, hit the subscribe button so you can get our updates and join us as we work together, just like Nehemiah and the Israelites did, to arise and build a wall around the great state of Missouri. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. I have a wonderful guest that I really think you're going to enjoy. His name is Bill Hardwick. He is a Missouri State representative. Um, And so welcome, Bill. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, good talking to you, Jody. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah. So just for the listeners who don't know you as well as I do, can you introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about you and where you're from. Yeah. My name is Bill Hardwick. I was elected to the Missouri House in 2020. So it's halfway through my second term is where I am now. And I grew up in Pulaski County. I was born in Rolla, went to Dixon High School. Um, After I graduated there, went to Mizzou, joined the military, and I went to law school, um, deployed overseas, came back. I was a prosecutor in Pulaski County for a while, worked for the Department of Defense, and then I ran for office. And then Pulaski County is where we live, and the district I represent is Waynesville, St. Robert, Fort Leonard Wood, and then kind of south of Dixon, that's south kind of half of Pulaski County. Okay. So um, for those of you who may not be quite as familiar with the Missouri map, that's kind of in the middle of the I-44 corridor, just right there, um, sort of between Lebanon and Rolla. So that's where Bill is from. And uh, Bill, I really appreciate you. I got to know you a couple sessions ago, maybe at the Capitol while I was doing some work there. And I just really appreciate being able to have conversations with you, even though sometimes they're not the easiest of conversations. We don't always agree, but I always leave our conversations feeling like I learned something and um, I just have a great amount of respect for you. So I appreciate your willingness to, um, you know, engage, engage with me, talk about issues and uh, just, you know, discuss things that are important to the people of Missouri. Yeah, no, I appreciate that as well. And I appreciate you saying that. I don't think it's my job to avoid things that are difficult, a difficult conversation. I think we as legislators have a duty to our state and to the people and to live up to what we said that we would champion and fight for in the legislature and you know, be true to the values that we held out campaigning and to the people. And for me that, you know, just have this conversation with you, that process is you help me think of things that maybe I could do better. I didn't think of, and I tried to examine my reasoning and why I took or whatever vote I took or whatever action I took or whatever issue I championed on my methodology too, whether or not that was the best way to go about trying to accomplish what I was trying to accomplish because the way in which you try to achieve your goals matters too. You know, the ends don't justify the means the way that you conduct yourself also matters. Right. So just helping me think about that and having those conversations about, you know, whether or not the job I'm doing is what's, you know, is me serving the people, right? Mm-hmm. And just continue to refine that and try to improve on that. Right. Well, I really, I appreciate that. Um, unfortunately, not all of our legislators are so open, but I do appreciate that about our relationship. I want to talk about a couple of things today. Um, 
actually I'd love to talk with maybe talk with you about three different things. And if we don't have time, maybe we can get to it a different, a different day, but yeah, for sure. One of the things that I would really like for my listeners to know about you and to understand is your opinion or your view of health freedom. You had, um, you had the privilege of chairing a committee this past session in 2023, and you did a lot of work in that health freedom arena, both in your committee and on the floor of the house. And I'd just, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Um, the vaccine issue, uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're past the pandemic crisis, I guess you would say, but um, I think that's still really top of mind for a lot of people. Um, because there always seems to be a threat of something new, right? Like some new variation or some new virus or whatever. Um, and we just saw so many things during the pandemic that we've never experienced before. So can you share a little bit about your views regarding health freedom and the vaccines or the shots specifically and, um, you know, legislation and just generally speaking about that issue? Yeah, for sure. So when I when I ran for office in 2020, that's when the COVID shutdowns took place, kind of in spring of that year. And I think a lot of conservatives, you know, Donald Trump was president. There were a lot of Republican governors who were shutting stuff down too. I think for a lot of conservatives, there was kind of a re-examination of what conservatism is, and then what the government can do to people and make people do, and what kind of like the collective can do to the individual. So you know, my my candidacy. A big part of that was thinking about what an individual's rights are as a human being and what other people can make them do or force them to do or the government can force them to do. So, you know, as one of the first positions I took was that the, the lockdowns were wrong and that, you know, that the intrusion on a person's, an individual's freedom was way too much. You know, if you're essential enough to go to the grocery store or have a job or your business can stay open or you're allowed to go to church or churches can be open, those were all questions that for a lot of people were new to answer the United States of America, mm-hmm. but they, I think there was kind of like a reawakening of conservatism at that time too. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, the, the COVID vaccines came out, the mRNA vaccines came out and, you know, for the three pharmaceutical companies and the adenovirus from Johnson and Johnson. Mm-hmm. And then there was this, you know, immediate push to say every single person should be forced to take it. There was a mandate in the military. There were mandates, you know, through OSHA. There was a mandate for healthcare workers that to get Medicaid or Medicare, the, the, the facility, all the employees have to take the COVID vaccine. And you know, honestly, it just kind of weighed on me more and more throughout that year that it was very unethical that a pharmaceutical company can create something and then go to the government and have the government force everybody to take it. That we could control people's behavior, whether or not they can, they can go, they could drive around, they could travel, they could have a job based on whether or not they took a vaccine or a medicine that they were being forced to take, you know, to associate their rights and their role in society with something that they were being forced to put in their body. Right. And then I think there's real, there are real questions about mRNA, you know, the one that makes the spike protein in people and what that's doing to people, what right. the health effects are. There are definitely people who had adverse health effects that I know that everybody knows actually at this point. Mm-hmm. So like for, there's several layers to me, that the vaccine mandates were ethical right. and the more i thought about it the more i you know the more i i got stronger in my conviction in that position and the more i thought and more i kind of observed the process for why it was so difficult to make a change in jeff city that also changed the way i viewed the legislative process honestly mm-hmm. um so my goal was to uh, make it so nobody had to take the COVID vaccine 
that was my general principle. But I also think, and I, th- I think, think now too, that there are new technologies that are going to be invented. There'll be new crises. Right. And what other things are going to be forced on people? Right. What other things are people going to be, you have to take this or your life's going to be destroyed or you're going to be marginalized or whatever. Are the government's going to try to force, you know, whatever, in any way they can to force people to do stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was an issue. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about, you actually filed a bill in 23 this year um, about the vaccine. So tell us about the bill that you actually filed. I uh, filed a bill and it, it was structured in a way that I thought that would be most effective for it to pass. If the government couldn't order any COVID vaccine mandates. And then for private employers, they would just have to give somebody a medical or religious exemption. That was kind of my scheme. Uh-huh. You know, the scheme of the bill. Uh-huh. Um, after talking to people, you know, it became clear that it wasn't just a COVID vaccine. It's the issue of mRNA technology being pushed on people generally. And that technology is becoming more more um, present different places as new applications for mRNA are being developed. You know, mRNA which con- confers genetic instructions for your cells to do something, to express something, to create a protein, to do whatever. Right. So, you know, after talking to some grassroots leaders and some people who were experts, you know, we tried to expand it to cover mRNA and then file the bill. And there were a lot of, there were a lot of COVID bills that were filed. Mitch Boggs' bill that was an employer has liability if they force a vaccine. Right. There was Brian Seitz' bill that prohibited vaccine passports, which I agreed with too. Somebody shouldn't have to show their papers to be able to move around in society. You know, somebody shouldn't have to have this this thing that's a personal decision, you know, be forced upon them to be able to travel or to go into a building. Absolutely. So I agree with what Brian Seitz was trying to do. And then there was Holly Jones' bill, which was if mRNA or gene therapies in food supply, it's in it's in something that people are being exposed to. They're they're being and they're ingesting it like without their knowledge or that's having an effect in their body without their knowledge, mm-hmm. that basically the manufacturer just has to inform people of that. It's pretty right. simple in my mind. So right. <laughs> those are bills that came to our committee, yeah. Right. So it does seem pretty simple. And I was actually in the committee hearing when Representative Jones' bill was heard. And um, I can't say that I was shocked, but I was, sort of. You know, I, ex- I knew that there would be a lot of pushback, but actually to hear them talk, it's just kind of mind-boggling when you actually hear the arguments and um, so tell us what happened. You were, you're the chair of that committee, and yeah. I was super thankful for that. But um, tell us what happened in the committee, uh, both with your, your bill, the, the vaccine bill, and then also Representative Jones' bill, which was the, the labeling, the mRNA labeling bill. Yeah, I, um, I requested to get... COVID vaccine and medical freedom bills. And I got, we got mine referred first and tried to vote it out when we could. We got Holly's bill and Holly, um, you know, requests had a date where she, her witnesses could be there, heard the bill and, um, and then different groups just kind of opposed it. Right. And I really can't, it's really, nobody has given me a very good policy reason why, the ethics issue of if your genes are being modified, you should be informed about that, right? The essence of the bill, or if you're, if you're, if somehow there's an mRNA that could be going to your body and make your cells do something different that you shouldn't know about that. Right. Nobody's presented me a substantive argument for why that's a bad idea. All the arguments are dismissive. You're crazy, Bill. No, that's not happening. 
or as or that's happening everywhere. This is just what medicine is now. This is just what you know technology is now. Right. Like there's, but there, but to me, there's a very simple ethical principle that if you're doing something, to, it goes back to like you know, medicine for hundreds of years. What was ethical? If you do something to somebody's body, mm-hmm. they should know what you're doing, and they should be able to decide for themselves if they want that done to their body. Yes. You know, if you're doing something to somebody's like cells that are changing it, if there's a medicine or surgery. You say, hey, this is what the surgery is. These are the risks, right? Here's why, you know, why we think it's a good or bad idea. But the but the human being, the person, gets to decide, you know, whether or not they want that done to them specifically, right? Right. You know, I don't know if you want me to talk about it, but we did have a whole discussion about how this is like we had a discussion with some of the the Democrat colleagues on the committee mm-hmm. about the issue of abortion. Oh really? So because I mentioned that yeah, no, we mentioned that where it's like okay, you don't have a right to do this to the person. And then the question was, well, doesn't this dovetail with, you know, the an issue of abortion, whether or not a, a woman can have an abortion? Oh, right. Yeah. And, and my answer to that was that the baby is another person and both the baby and the mother have rights yes. and both the baby and the mother should be protected. They're two different patients, right? But your human, but your worth as a human, a human being is the same argument for medical freedom to begin with it's also the same argument for life that right. a human being has this worth has this ontological worth and you can't trespass on them you know like you can't you can't do things to them that they have rights right. to me it's a similar principle mm-hmm. correct i would agree i would agree that was um the democrats did love to push back on that um argument and it's such the logic is so clear to me personally it's I don't know why we have to argue about it, but, um, but yeah. So, um, Holly's bill, that labeling bill, I was really thankful. We knew that it was going to be a hard, um, lift to get it out of the committee to, for it to pass. And there came a point that we knew that we didn't have the votes, but you did force a vote at least. And I appreciated that, that, um, you know, I, I see that happening, Oh, in just different, in different scenarios, you see leadership, whether it be committee chairs or majority floor leaders, um, orchestrating the process in such a way that really protects our legislators from taking hard votes. And so I appreciated the fact that you at least did bring it to a vote. And so our committee members did, they were required to cast their vote. And so we have that vote on record. Um, I think that's important. That's one of the things um, in regard to the process. And we've talked about process issues um, a lot privately. But that's one of the things that I feel like that people, the citizens need, I feel like they have a right to understand what's happening and have the opportunity to do just what you and I are doing today, to just have the conversation. So even if we don't agree, even if they don't like the vote, I believe that people deserve to know what your vote is, so at least they can ask you about it. Right. Yeah, I think the same thing. I think that um, it shouldn't be in a cloud of secrecy, what goes on in the Capitol, you know, and how and how and what votes are made. Right. That whatever I do, if I take a vote and if a constituent agrees or disagrees or, you know, the critical mass of constituents agree or disagree, 
what I, what my job is when I, when I, you know, everybody campaigned. So they went around, they knocked on doors, they knocked on thousands of doors. They went to mm-hmm. all kinds of events. They went to every chili supper and birthday party <laughs> for right. a year. Right. And they said, send me up there to make hard decisions and I'll represent you. But then when they get up there, a lot of people are like, I don't want to make any hard decisions. I don't want to answer. You know? <laughs> right. Like, but that's what you, that's the job you, you applied for. Right. And part of your job is to go there and, you know, and I don't think I always, I don't always get it right. Sometimes I, you know, just like anybody, I'm, I'm doing my best to try to calculate everything what's going on and try to get it right. But I know that when I vote a certain way, I have to go back to Pulaski County and people can ask me, why did you vote for whatever bill? And I can say, here's why, here's why I thought me taking a yes vote or a no vote was me serving you, was me serving the people. And it's up to the people, whether or not they're satisfied with what I voted on and whether or not they want to bring me back. And to me, that's, in the essence of the way a representative democracy, a representative republic should work is that, right? That, that the lawmakers are accountable to the people. Right. And they, you know, and you can just like in anybody, you could say, why well, agree with you on this, but I disagree with you on this. But they sure. have to decide whether or not they think sitting, me sitting up there is what they want. And I'm doing a good job representing them on the whole. Sure. I do think a lot of times the, the citizens, um, you know, they, I think generally speaking, um, the temperature of, feeling toward government is negative. Um, You know, lots of comments about the politicians and just government in general. People are not real trusting of the government process um, or politicians. And unfortunately, I think that 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 is a legitimate um, point of view. Um, But also because I have been um, spending so much time inside the Capitol the last few years, I also do see that our legislators really, it's almost like it reminds me of public school, you know, when so many parents just drop their kids off at the public school (laughs) and, (laughs) and they never bother to talk with the teacher or really pay attention to what's going on or be involved. And I feel like that happens also in government, that the citizens are just kind of dropping it all at the front door and and just expecting that the people inside are going to take care of things and they are not participating um, and they're not actively involved. And I, I don't think that that's ultimately a benefit to our elected officials, even though I know there are a lot of elected officials who really want to be left alone. In fact, I was told as much by by uh, by leadership actually a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> to leave you alone? Uh, yeah, I mean, she didn't come out and just say it like that. She said, you know, if you want to get involved, you should just stay in your community and get on your school board. <laughs> and um, um, you know, there's this know, sort of sentiment yeah. like these things are too complicated for you to understand. So you should, you know, not bother. Uh, But ultimately I just, I believe truly that if citizens would come along side of you, um, get involved, develop relationships and just use their voice. um, I think ultimately that's beneficial for everybody. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's a lot there that you made me think of as you're saying that. So one is that, the old paradigm of the political class, right? There's election, it's machinery, political, you know, political bosses and political establishment to produce somebody. They go off to Jefferson City or Washington, D.C., and pretty much nobody knows what they're doing there. And that's the old paradigm, right? 
and then it's whatever. And but but even back then, and I think that the newspaper of the house made a similar point today was that there was a lot more respect for those institutions back then, mm-hmm. but there was a lot less transparency. And so some people decry that the it's the movement of the people to the capital, right? Like, and Facebook and Twitter help accomplish that. Mm-hmm. You know, outlets like your your podcast, your blog accomplish that, where you can't be person A in Jefferson City and then person B back home mm-hmm. because there's no more, you know, because of technology and because of activism, the space is closed. Mm-hmm. And so, but there's also... It's a, it's a time of change, so there's tumult. But to me, it's going to have a positive result because the positive result is that everybody in government needs to be a servant of the people, and they need to they need to lead. Which means sometimes that they say, "Here's here's uncertainty, here's the, you know, the future, there's chaos going on." But how do we? What do we? Where do we go from here? How do we navigate it? And that's leadership. But you need to listen and lead and be responsive because because a leader is not just na- absorbing the uncertainty and navigating the problem. They're also serving the people, you know, the people that they are representing and leading. Right. And a lot of people say politicians aren't leaders, but I think anybody can be a leader, whether you have an office or not. If you're if you're changing things for the better and you're making a difference and things would have gone one way, but because of your involvement, things go a different way, then you're a leader, you know? Mm-hmm. You've navigated a problem and you've changed things. And that's it's kind of the essence of leadership in a lot of ways. Right. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's going to be a good thing more and more that people are involved and more and more I find out it's even different in the last couple of years that whatever happens in Jeff city, people back in the district find out about it, whether it was a bill, whether it was a vote, whether it's the, you know, the rules got a lot more attention this year mm-hmm. and that's going to be good because it's going to make us better lawmakers at the end of the day. And it's going to give the people better government because we're, you know, we're receptive. And if, and so I have what roughly 37,000 constituents. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with all of them on everything. They sure. don't agree with me on everything, right? Sure. There are Republicans and conservatives and independents and Democrats, and libertarians and every different kind of person in a, in a house district. Yeah. But so my job is to be honest and say what I'm going to stand for. And if I learn information and change my mind, I need to go back and be accountable to the people why I did something and just leave it to them. You know, on the issues of health freedom, on the vaccine mandate, on abortion, not everybody agrees with me. Some people think I'm, some people really disagree with me. Right. But I think they, I think people who even disagree with me know that my position is because of my conviction. Um, And it's because I feel like I have to stand up for something that's important to me. Right. And I'm not, and I never do it in a way that's condescending or hateful. At least I try not to. Mm -hmm. I try to be caught to, to think about that, that people have different points of view. But I think it's my duty to say if I believe something or think something's wrong to say something about it and try to do something about it. Right. Right. It's not my duty to be hateful or destructive, no. you know, to be, res- to be respectful. But I think I have a duty to um, stand up for what I think is right. And maybe I change things and maybe that's leadership. Right. Right. Well, um, you know, I can only think of one issue that you and I don't maybe, I don't even know that we don't agree. I think, I think the heart of the matter we are aligned um, on, I think maybe we have, a difference of opinion about how to go about accomplishing the goal. And, um, and I've always known you to be very respectful and I would hope that you feel the same about me. Um, but that issue, um, and we can talk about it today, uh, is school choice. Yeah. Okay, cool. And let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I think that we agree on the fact that we don't like what's happening in our public schools um, right. I believe we agree that we don't like the left wing ideology, um, 
I really think we agree about all of it. My concern about just making a statement, a very broad general statement, that I support school choice, and this is just me personally, um, is that the devil's in the details. And in theory, I like the idea that I could choose what district my kids attend school at, but when I really drill down and look at the details of that and how does that actually happen, um, where do those funds come from, and what happens with the transportation, and what happens, you know, there are just so many scenarios with the term school choice. Sure. Um, we can talk about even within one district, our kids maybe get to go to a different elementary school or a different middle school, but they're all actually within the same, you know, the same school district. Um, yeah. Then you can talk about, you know, for going from district to district and that would be a completely different district. And then you talk about, well, maybe we the voucher issue where you could actually take um, what people say, and this is you know, is your tax dollars, which I just don't agree with how that actually works. But, um, you know, and even apply that money into a private school or even get money to use for homeschooling. And I just don't, I have some concerns about the details. I love the idea that sure, you could go to any school that you want um, because I love freedom as much as the next parent, but the details of how that all plays out is what's concerning to me. Yeah, I think that that's good. I think that, um, you know, I'm sensitive to arguments about, okay, there's a rural school, and if students get to leave that school or if government dollars leave that school, you know, what happens to those teachers and those families who depend on that school, those kids, right, who are there? Do they get get shortchanged? Right. And because I'm not against public. Are there, yeah, I'm not against public. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, 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 no. I was, just, I was saying I'm not against public school. I think there are a lot of school board members who got on the school board because they care about what happens to the children in their community. They're there for the kids. There are lots of teachers like that who mm-hmm. they wanted to help kids. They wanted to educate them. They want to give the best chance of the future. And in my district, we have a lot of good school districts and a lot of good educators and a lot of people who really care. And I don't, and my intent is not to do anything to make their life harder. In fact, I want to make their life easier. Maybe I want to take off some DESE regulatory requirements from them, right? Yes. And make it so if you're on the school board, it's more relevant and the parents can talk to you and you can change stuff, right? And that's better. So maybe we need to reduce the state's involvement in the school district to some degree. Yes. Um, So I I think all those things are true. I, I I voted for open enrollment. And if we made some changes to it, too, some changes that the conservatives were able to identify. And I voted for the ESA bill because I do feel like that. um, I feel like it's like this in a lot of ways, not just the public education arena, but in, you know, the court system and the, and, and general government involvement in families' lives and all kinds of things. And maybe I'm more sensitive to that because I live in a military town. The federal government is very, and, you know, very involved and controlling mm-hmm. in what military parents do with their kids. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like what what kids need and kids lack is parents and parents um, loving their kids and being involved in their kids' life. And that parents have to be, I think Charles Krautheimer used the word, the sovereign over the kids, that they're the ones who are making their decisions about whether or not they're homeschooled, which I support people's right to homeschool. 
whether or not they want to go to a Christian school or to a private school or whether or not the school district's not working for them. And I think that parents need to be the ultimate decision maker in a kid's life, whether we're talking in the, generally speaking, like even in the juvenile system or in the school system or in the healthcare arena, the hospitals that we want, want parents to parent and, you know, and make those decisions. Mm -hmm. Now, even like in all those things, there are things that we say, well, we don't want parents to be able to abuse their kids. Exactly right. We don't want physical abuse. Right, Right. You know, we don't want these horrible things to happen to kids, but we want parents to say, Hey, you know, this is our belief system about whether or not, you know, if we have a religious belief system and in the public, in this particular school that's available to us, that you're kind of required to go to, you're required to go to, maybe you're being exposed to things and taught things that I think that are unhealthy for you or that I don't want my kid being involved in. So I think the parents should be able to have the, the final recourse to say, I'm taking my kid out of the school yeah. and I have another option. But I'm also, I also don't disagree with what you're saying that there's, there's other things, there are things that we should consider too, like, you know, the health of the public school district, mm-hmm. you know, what's being forced in the public school district and whether or not there are other, other actors involved who are looking at that issue of, of parents, you know, right. But that's, that's my, my draw to the issue is parents being right. the decision maker and saying, what opportunity is that for me to do something different and piggyback on that? Right. And particularly, and just coming off if I keep talking, but I'm yeah. oh. expressing my thoughts, particularly in the issue of um, personal data and private data, biometric data, family yes. data, financial data, healthcare data of children, of yes. our children in schools going to the state government, going to the federal government, going to third party vendors and private companies. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and we've we seen, and it's the discussion that me and a lot of reps have been having. And then, you know, it's me and a lot of people in the legislative process have been having recently. It just seemed last session, everywhere you turned around, there was a, this data can't be shared with, this person's data can't yes. be shared with somewhere in a bill. And that's a big problem. And I, and I, and people can make arguments why that's good for whatever industry or functional for a company. But I feel like, just like what I said earlier, when I, when I said when I was a candidate is that parent, I would support the rights of parents to raise their kids. Mm-hmm. I said I would support your individual freedom. I said I would support teachers and public safety, right? I mm-hmm. said I'd support the Constitution. Right. I said that I would – I was for a limited government. That was – I think it was in my campaign flyer, limited government. So, okay, those are the things I said I believe in, and I believe in them. I'm now at Jefferson City. So, okay – do I, I want to support teachers? Yes. Do I want parents to have more say, more control of the process to be able to be parents? I believe in that. But are we in that process taking away the parents' freedom by giving up all this um, you know, medical data of children, yeah. giving their biometric data, giving yeah. their making vaccination list of children, whether or not they got the COVID vaccine? Mm-hmm. Take your pick of whatever, right? right. Are we are we just are we turning that all over to these government databases, which I'm just generally intuitively suspicious of? Yeah. And I think the conservatives, and I would challenge the conservatives, and hopefully we'll have conversations in the coming weeks about it. We should look for stuff like that in all bills, whether yes. they're education bills, whether they're whatever bills, yes. and be like, okay, what's the secret thing that we're giving up here? Right. What, you know, what what uh, surreptitious way are people's freedoms being given up? Mm-hmm. And just be more concerted about opposing those things, amending those things, deleting those sentences, challenging where that came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's something we should do. But I agree. With, but you yeah. know, that was a point that you brought up. And some of those bills was like, you know, why, why are we creating these kind of databases of kids? You right. know, why are we, why are we making decisions based on race? 
about right. who has access to education. I think that's wrong too, right? Right. You know, um, so yeah, we should have those principles. But I'm not, I'm not against public schools. But I am, I, you know, I think there are enough parents who talk to me who are like, hey, what's happening is not working for me. Maybe I want to homeschool. Right. And if they want to do yeah. that, more power to you, right? Right. Guess, Absolutely. You know, and I. So I'm. So yeah, you're right. A school choice isn't a policy, but the idea of parents being in charge is is one of my beliefs. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I agree. I agree with that. There are just, um, I think what I don't like is, um, and honestly, I don't even think this necessarily applies to you, but so many Republicans, you know, want to shout from the rooftops. I believe in education freedom. I believe in school choice. And it's just so broad to just make that broad statement is to me, I'm not sure I could say it's misleading, but um, there's so much to school choice. There's so much to consider um, where the money comes from, how it gets uh, divvied out. You know, um, is it part of a data collection situation? I mean, there's just so many details. So I, I think if I saw a school choice bill that I felt like was generally safe and uh, you know, I might consider it, but I, I think that oftentimes when we say, well, we'll take your tax dollars and just give it back to you, that to me is kind of a red flag. Like, that's not really how the government sees that. The government, once they have, um, once they have the money, it's not your money anymore. It's the government's money. <laughs> you know, once I pay my taxes... That's not my money. That's the government's money. And so um, if I in turn take that money, if I take money from the government, even for, for education or what, you know, there's a potential that strings will be attached to that money. And uh, just depending, you know, it just depends like how, how the legislation is written. Uh, and I think to just, to just say that, um, you know, school choice is the answer and we're going to give you the money so you can go where you want. I think that's a little, mm, it's just too broad for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I think that people who aren't really keeping up with the details, they hear that and they think, oh, I want that money back. That's my tax dollars. Right. But it may not necessarily work that way. Yeah. I, uh, a little while back, I spoke to Alliance of Christian Schools in South Central Missouri and kind of made the same point that if you want, you know, whether it's a voucher or a scholarship or a subsidy or a grant, whenever you come to rely on money, whatever you depend on controls you. That's right. So a lot of people, they, you know, they do whatever their boss tells them to do. They don't like doing it, but they have to mm -hmm. because if they, if they say no, they can't pay their bills, right? They can't pay their rent. Mm -hmm. So whatever you depend on is what tells you what to do. So if you come to become reliant on this government money subsidizing your program and, you know, education is like that. Education is actually like that with federal government money we have going back to Missouri public education. That's right. Healthcare is like that, that, it, you know, that it's, it, it's tax dollars that go to D.C. and come back to our healthcare industry, almost, right. you know, mm -hmm. largely. Mm -hmm. And then those guys who supply the money get to say, well, one day, if you want the check this month, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And what everybody does is they go, well, we can't get rid of the money because we'd be ruined. Right. And so that, that, that reliance and dependence on something is a form of control. 
Yeah. And, and for like the last 50 years, conservatives have been saying some version of that, that if you depend on the government, the government's your boss. Right. And if you want to be free, you need to be independent of the, the relying on the government. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think it's a, that's a really well stated argument and we should be careful about that. And I think that part of the point you're making to me too, is that if I go, yeah, I want freedom. I want education, freedom. I want parents to decide. And then we do all these things and it's under the blanket of that. Am I, um, you know, am I, is there unintended consequence creating a way for the government to have more control over people? Exactly. And, um, and then I think we should, we should be vigilant on that. And every bill, you know, every bill that comes, you know, let's read, let's discuss, you come discuss with me. I'll discuss. We'll discuss with other groups, other reps, mm-hmm. right? Other whoever. Right. And we'll just kind of we'll just parse through it, and that's right. that's the way we should do it, right? right? We should not say I'm I'm blanketly committed to something except for, you know, what I believe in and right. what's right for the people. You know, one of the things I think, kind of in general across culture, that we've lost even among the conservatives is this sense of personal responsibility. And I think that we actually do have a lot of freedom, and we have a lot of options. Sometimes we don't readily see those options or maybe the, maybe the freedom isn't quite as easy as just dropping the kid off at public school. You know, we, it's interesting we're talking about this now because just last week we made a decision to bring my fifth grader home. He was actually in a small private school. We took him out of public school two years ago and then even we were just having some issues even with the private school. And the truth really is, um, I wasn't real excited about homeschooling. It changes my life. It changes everything about how I function during the day. Um, but that's the, that's the choice that we felt like we, that was the only choice we felt like we could make at this time. And, um, you know, it's hard. And it's, it's challenging in a whole variety of ways. It's not cheap to homeschool. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy to have, you know, when that wasn't the plan. Um, we just have to make a lot of adjustments. There are a lot of sacrifices that go into that. But I did have a choice. We, we did have a choice. And um, it, it's not ideal in some in some ways. <laughs> but um, I think sometimes we, even as parents, even conservatives, we are hesitant to really, really, truly take the re- personal responsibility and make it work. You know, I think this country was founded on, gosh, so much incredibly, I mean, so many people did such incredibly difficult things. Right. You know, and I think I think we're kind of spoiled in a lot of ways and we haven't necessarily had to do um, really difficult things or at least not very often, you know. Um, So I think I think it's important that especially as conservatives who, you know, who really want to promote more than anything individual liberty it's important that we start using the freedom that we actually have and we start um, exercising the rights that we do have. And sometimes that's not easy to do. No. And we always want to talk about, it's easier to talk about our freedom, which we want to have freedom, but it's hard to talk about our responsibility. We have a responsibility to our kids. We have a responsibility to 
you know, if you're in a business to the people you're doing business with, to be honorable, to, to, um, make a difference, to, um, protect your family, to provide for your family. We have a responsibility to act in a way that shapes society the way we want society to be, you know, if we're always lying, if we're always, you know, if we're always doing the wrong thing, then there are repercussions, you know, it, it affects society. But so I think we talk about, yeah, you know, even free speech, right? We have a freedom to say what we want. The government can't tell us we can't say something. Mm-hmm. That's a great principle. Then we have responsibility for the words we say. Right. Because even our words to other people are powerful. Our words change things. They change how people react. They change the actions people make. Our words to ourselves change what we think and what we do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, even though we have the freedom to express ourselves, we have a responsibility for what we say and do. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for joining me today. I could, we could talk for another hour or two um, about just a whole variety of topics. So maybe, maybe one day soon you can come back on. But um, in an effort not to be too long-winded here, we're going to wrap up today. But I really appreciate you. Thanks for coming and joining, joining me today. No, thanks for the, the conversation, Jody. It was wonderful. Yeah, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Bill. Hey, thanks for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. I hope you found it beneficial and valuable. I'd really encourage you in the next few days to pick up your Bible and grab the practical tools you need to arise and build. Don't forget to subscribe and check out the blog at jodygrace.com. I'll see you soon.